You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Episode 75, Quest for Camelot. Draw that axe in a chicken suit. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is your source for audiobooks that you can download or stream. And if you go to rotoscopers.com slash audible, you can get your very own free trial for Audible. Recently, I've been, uh, you know, pouring through Ed Catmull's book, Creativity Incorporated. That's just my recommendation right now. But really, you can get a ton of choices at this great site. rotoscopers.com slash audible is your place to start your free trial. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, Warner Brothers, and everything in between. My name is Chelsea Robson. I am here with my amazing co-hosts, Morgan Stradling and Mason Smith, and we are here to talk everything about animation. Everybody say yay. 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 For anybody who is new to the podcast, basically we're just a bunch of friends. We get together every other week and we talk about a fantastic animated movie or maybe sometimes not so fantastic you know it just depends um but right now we are in a dinos and dragons series and we're at the tail end and we are oh, gonna oh, I, see what you did there. <laughs> I like it sorry sorry <laughs> today we're going to be talking about quest for camelot so who <laughs> aka that one time warner brothers tried to make a zelda movie oh Guys, don't get me started on the Zelda animated movie that needs to happen. Or live action. Just any movie. Didn't That's they already make a Zelda live budget. action then? No. Oh, I no, wish. that was just that one random YouTube video I saw. Yeah, that was <laughs> IGN on April Fool's Day. <laughs> awesome. But I'm actually excited to talk about this movie. I had never seen it before. Um, even though I, I thought I had seen this with Chelsea at her sister's house, random memory, which was not true. But it was actually interesting, and I'm really excited to talk about it, because this movie had so much potential to be mm-hmm. good, but it just kind of really fell flat. Wait yeah, a second. Totally. I thought I remembered seeing it with you at my sister's house, too. Okay, then this really did happen, and I <laughs> not paid attention. Because when I was watching the movie, I didn't remember a single plot point. So Aww. I was like, this didn't happen, because I don't remember <laughs> any of this movie. No, Wouldn't you call thing- that a bad sign? <laughs> I know. Yeah, anyway. My subconscious just pushed it away. Push it away. Hey, this was the first time I had seen the whole thing. I remember seeing the previews, and uh, this was in 1998, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, timing-wise, there were more interesting films I wanted to see, you know, as like a 10, 11-year-old. But uh, I, I remember right off the bat not being interested in seeing this movie. <laughs> I thought it was the uh, – when I uh, clicked play this morning to watch it, I thought this was the one where there was – there's like a princess and a goblin, and the goblin wants to like flood the castle. But apparently it's not. <laughs> I wouldn't even know what movie you're referring to, so – Isn't there a movie called The Princess and the Goblin? I'm no, pretty sure I saw it only, in theaters. The only movie princess. that comes to mind as you say that is The, the Black Cauldron. No, it's not that there one. There is a movie called The Princess and the Goblin. Okay, that's the one I saw. This one is totally different. Okay. It's a 1991 European animated fantasy film. Oh. Well, uh, oh, this one's day. a... Yeah, to, I guess so. Wait. When we're doing our Goblin series. Oh, yeah, so the first thing uh, when I did my research for this film was I saw that it was heavily promoted by Wendy's. Yep. I that, that pretty much sets the tone for this episode. <laughs> you couldn't get McDonald's. You couldn't get BK. Wendy's. You had to go to Wendy's to or get Pizza your, Hut. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, not even Pizza Hut. <laughs> not even Pizza Hut would take these guys. At least it's better than, like, Taco Bell or something. Yo quiero Taco Bell. All right, let's take a look at the trailer. Journey back to a land filled with mystery and magic. A time of bravery and adventure. Next summer, Warner Brothers Family Entertainment presents Quest for Camelot. Attack! It's taken Excalibur! Where is the soul? In a place of untold danger. We're not going in there, are we? The story of a girl who dreams of becoming a knight. Fly on my father's wings to places I have never been. A brave hero who will join her. Excalibur is missing. We're going after it. A magical dragon with two points of view. I'm Devon, and this growth on my neck is Cornwall. Oh, what I could be if there was only me. Oh, what I'd do if I didn't have you. And the evil knight. You are going to lead me to Excalibur. Who will stop at nothing to destroy all that is good and just. Next stop, Camelot! Featuring songs by Academy Award winner Carol Bayer Sager and Grammy winner David Foster. Share the adventure. Excalibur only belongs in the hands of Arthur. Of the noblest legend of all time. Seize them. Reaching for the sky, I stand alone. Mayday! Mayday! Turbulence! Camelot. Quest for Camelot. When we get to Camelot, we'll be kissed by the world's most beautiful women. Right. We'll have to beat them off with a stick. Quest for Camelot. Wow, that was great. <laughs> you know, like I said, I remember Tell this... Tell you what, wow. <laughs> I remember this movie, but I remember I specifically sought out to watch this. I remember that being my plan. Like, I wanted to watch this movie. And I remember being at my sister's house, and I vaguely remember Morgan being there. And... Yeah, the only thing I remember afterward was the fact that it had the the song The Prayer in it. And that mm. is the only plot I didn't it's not even a plot point, but that's the only point of the movie that I remembered from then to now. Huh. See, I remembered the music more from this movie, maybe because it actually played on the radio, mm-hmm. but I yeah. remember the music definitely rang a bell, but the actual plot nothing. The only thing I remember about this movie and being really turned off was the the movie poster or you know, what ended up being the DVD cover. It's the guy and the girl, the two-headed dragon and then this weird, you know, axe bird. And then you Oh, and then, brother, they put him on the cover. It, yeah, you just look at it and you're like, "No, thank you." Yeah. Like there's nothing appealing about it. And so I think for, that's why I'd avoided it for all these years is because of that darn cover. They didn't yeah. get John Alvin on there. I just watched Mason's video <laughs> about <laughs> John Alvin as his book review. Check it out. Uh, YouTube. Oh, yeah. 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 John Alvin was cool. So this was 1998. And looking at all the other films that were released this year, I can see why I didn't see it because this was the same year as uh, A Bug's Life, Prince of Egypt, Mulan, Ants, you know, the other Bug's Life. And, uh, you know, Lion King 2 and the Rugrats movie, which I saw in theaters, and I'm proud to say that I did. <laughs> I mean, it was a tough time, and it was kind of already in the, like, blossoming t- 
time of the CG animated film. Yeah. And th- th- there's a lot of points that I, that I'm going to talk about later about why this film just was kind of doomed, but that could be one of it. It had a lot of competition. I don't know. It didn't have nearly as many animated films, big ones as like 2000 or something like that. But what was weird is that I was watching this and it was like, I was like, this is 1998, but it feels like it's trying to be like 1995 or four or like sometime during the Disney Renaissance. That's why I felt like felt like they were trying to make. Yeah, a couple of years too late. Yeah, that's how it works out. They missed the curve. I mean, it, it, it's not like it was totally ignored, though. I mean, the the prayer, which is in it, won so many awards. Um, it won the Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song, and then it was also nominated for Academy Award for Best Original Song and a Grammy and for Best Pop Collaboration and Vocals, like. It was a big deal that, um, so that it did get a lot of showcase because of that song. It was originally sung by Celine Dion and Andrea Botelli, which did you know that Andrea Botelli is blind? I just did found, you know that I did. Oh, God. I just found this out like two years ago, <laughs> like not long ago. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't did know. Did you know that, uh, did you know that Andrea Botelli is a guy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Took me a while so with a voice like that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, how know if, I, am. I didn't know if um he was if it was brought up in story development or whatever, but I thought that was kinda cool that you know he was blind and the main character in this one was blind too. But huh, I had no idea. I uh, you know, I just made that connection right now. Anyway. So yeah. I have some general info about this movie. Okay. It was released May fifteenth, nineteen ninety eight. Runtime eighty six minutes. Um, which I think it was less than that. I think it has a really long credits, and so it's not really 86 minutes, because I was really happy when it was over. Uh, <laughs> budget, $40 million, but it only made $22.5 million domestically, which Ooh. is a, a bit of a shame. Ouch. Definitely. And it was produced, we had kind of talked about this, by Warner Brothers Feature Entertainment. And, um, you know, they've done various things over the years, and they, their name has changed Various times. Today it's called Warner Animation Group. Everything's a group with them, though. Like Warner Music Group, everything. So this was the third film that they had actually done. The first one was Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Next up, in 1996, two years before Quest for Camelot came out, was Space Jam. Hello. Probably one of their biggest ones. It was their biggest to date uh, until the Lego movie came out this year. Other movies they had done... Uh, the Iron Giant, which we will not talk about, the sham that they did for that movie, uh-huh. Osmosis Jones, and Looney Tunes back in action. So those are kind of the movies that they've done. And recently, I think because of Lego Movie, there's a resurgent in um, Warner Animation, or now known as the Warner Animation Group. They have quite a few movies coming out in the 2015, 2016, 2017. Uh, Storks, Smallfoot, Lego Ninjago, uh, and then, of course, oh, that's uh, been going Lego on. Movie 2. And future other Lego movies. So, um, unfortunately in the nineties, not so successful other than Space Jam. Huh. Which is interesting because Warner Brothers, if you think back where, you know, in its origins with Looney Tunes and, you know, the classic characters that they have, they could have been positioned to be a Disney where, you know, if they would have played their cards right, maybe they could have had 54 animated, animated theatrical films, but they don't. Um, and it's just because they chose to go a little different route. But I'm, I'm actually excited for Warner and and what they're doing in the future because it's an iconic studio and yeah, Lego Movie was great. <laughs> so what did you guys think about the animation in this movie? Ah, the animation. You know, it looks good in some scenes. Let's talk about lighting or like shading. 
quote unquote, or like the, how the, the sense of like how light falls on the characters. Did you notice mm-hmm. that it was like really dramatic and well rendered in some scenes, but in other scenes it wasn't? Yes. I just felt like some scenes just weren't finished looking and others were like really refined. Yeah. I yeah. felt like at parts it felt blurry and it wasn't blurry, but I just felt oh, like, like the lighting, how it like felt. The lighting the and shading that the characters just didn't seem to be just stand out. It just sort of, you know, they fell their features kind of fell into their face and they fell into the background, but that maybe that was just me. Yeah, I can see what you mean. But I, I noticed that Disney did it. If you look at Aladdin, there's some like really dramatic lighting. And then in other scenes, it's just kind of like a flat yeah. cell, you know, I can't explain what is different about this movie and the way that it's animated designs, you know, colors, lighting, but it just is, you watch it and you're like, this is different. I don't know if it's low budget or if it's just a different style. Well, it does ha- kind of have the same, that same style that, you know, the Iron Giant had. I mean, as far as how it looks, hmm. that's what struck me. I was like, yeah, that kind of feels like that same tone. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. do like the girls in this. I thought they were very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were kind of generic looking. Really? I, I don't know. They just, they had a unique look. Yeah. Whether it's generic or not. They just had a different, you know, the way their eyes and their faces were were designed. Um, I felt that Garrett looked exactly like the prince from Swan Princess. Yes. Like, I, I mean, it's the big mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of his movements and mannerisms. I'm like, are you a brother? I had that same thing, especially with the villain. I felt like he was a very Rothbart type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like I just did. <laughs> oh, Ruber. There's, there's some CG effects also, you know, like architecture and some of this stuff. It worked in some scenes, but it didn't work in others. Kind of like the, um, oh, the ogre thing, the giant rock dude thingy. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. I, could, I couldn't stand how they animated him. I was like, why is he even there? There's no excuse. If they can if they can do really well with Toy Story, then they can match that quality on a simple dude like that. No, but like, just as far as I just felt like he wasn't even necessary. <laughs> why must he even be there? I don't even we'll know. We'll talk about that. When That's we like the to. question of the episode. <laughs> I know. Why is that there? <laughs> it's true. Why do we even have that character? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Okay, so in the UK, this movie is actually known as The Magic Sword Quest for Camelot. Uh-huh. Uh, and the reason for this is because it is yet another Sword in the Stone film. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's been quite a few of these. I think the most obvious is uh, The Sword in the Stone by Disney. Uh, there's oh, been yeah. quite a few live, a- live action adaptations, but it's just kind of taking a very famous, um, you know, sort of mythology or folklore. And going with it. And so we get to see King Arthur and, and their interpretation of him. And, but this one I really liked that we get to see a little bit more about Excalibur, uh, the city of Camelot, and then the Knights of the Round Table. I think that was probably my favorite was kind of how these knights were key. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do you think? I don't know. Where were they during this whole conflict with the bad guy? <laughs> where were, weren't they supposed to go looking for the sword? They're looking in the wrong spot. Okay. You know what? Okay. The blind Merlin. guy found it. What did? He, what, what did? Yeah, the blind guy found it. Here's my question, Merlin. What the? 
heck what he, was he doing this whole time? He was like he showed up one time, just oh. kind of in the background, and then at the end he has some type of a little like something to say. I'm like, dude, Merlin's beard. Where have you been? Merlin's so misused. <laughs> you have well, Merlin in your movie and you don't take advantage of it. I feel like he should have been played up a bit more. Him and Arthur, I would have liked to have seen totally more absent. more interactions and scenes with them, and then maybe they could cross paths with the main characters and maybe Kaylee. Maybe a song and, between the two of them. Yeah, oh, absolutely. A love ballad. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But, but he, he, had he, was such, like, he had such a cool design, and so yeah. when he was on stage, he, he, he stood cool. out, yeah. and then we just don't see much of him. Yeah, Merlin was absolutely useless. Why did they even have him? Just to say that they had Merlin in their film? Like, if you're not going to have Sir Lancelot, who's the most famous knight of the round table, then why are you going to have Merlin and and have him not do anything? I think because they tried to say, oh, this is a story based on, you know, the this famous folklore, but we don't want to focus on that. We're telling our own story. Meh. And I would have liked a little bit more of the original story and a little bit more play on those original characters intertwined with new characters. Yeah. yeah. And cut the dragons. Yes, please. And the dragon. chicken guy. Dad, the dragon. chicken axe. <laughs> the chicken guy. It's the chicken axe. <laughs> I despise that chicken. <laughs> Draw that axe in a chicken suit. <laughs> I was a fan of the Celtic tune they had at the very beginning, though. Ooh. It was, I mean, I'm always a fan of a good jig, so that was nice. Yeah, yeah. So what about the singing? Do you guys feel like it it worked as a musical? No. Or whatever it it was trying to be? No, it did not. Like, everyone but the the axe chicken had a song. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and the thing is, like, they were all supposed to be singles and they were all supposed to be a single song that they just crammed into a, a story and make like make it fit like i was just like oh it's so yeah. annoying and you hit the nail right on the head make it fit that's exactly i know that's exactly what those executives were saying yes yeah this story is um you know the telltale example of what happens when executives who have no idea about the process and don't really care they've just seen the success of other studios and they meddle in and they get their hands in this and as a result ruin the film this i i mean there's no proof that this exactly happened but i feel with the music someone up top said you know disney does musicals musicals are hot right now musicals sell you gotta have music and so they're like okay but oh and you gotta have it be a single like it has to be an r&b pop ballad at the credits that also we can sell singles and cds and it just wasn't good it just it, this is my R&B pop rant. Can I can I go on this right now? At the rant on. <laughs> but you Unleashed have to do it in Chelsea. an R&B song. Right. <laughs> well, there's the R&B beat. <laughs> um no, they're like the reason that these versions there there's a reason that they're kept at the end credits. Like the problem I had with a lot of these songs is that they just put them in the middle of the song and it's like they didn't go work with the acting. They didn't work with any of the it's like they had this feigned emotion that they're trying to put in there like uh, and I'm just like oh I can't I'm so bugged at this right now. And like the problem is is they wanted I felt like they knew that the prayer was gonna be huge and they wanted to make it fit. Honestly, I don't think they should have kept that song in this movie. Or they should have made an entirely different movie. 
to go along with this song. That was what was going to be the driving force. And they're like, well, just throw it in there somehow. And I just felt like that song has so much more potential than what they had for it. And it just, it didn't work for me. And I was very upset with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she has her song, you know, fly on my father's wings. That's from the very beginning. It's like, Oh, you're forcing it. And this is not working. And then, mm-hmm. and then notice how the song takes an entire day. She finishes with the song and her mom comes out in the evening. She's like, all right, are you done with your musical interlude? It's time to wash your hands. It's it's like this surreal, like, it's like a forced imitation of what Disney accomplished in the Renaissance. But yeah. they fail at their own formula because it's a Hollywood studio that the executives got in and they had to make everything work. I mean, like Morgan said, there's no evidence, but you don't have to be Benedict Cumberbatch to deduce that was what happened. Well, every song stopped the progression of the story. And it was, uh, for me, I feel like either do a musical properly or just throw it onto the background, like Tarzan or something. I mean, Tarzan did it really, really well. And I feel like they should have just done it something like that. Well, we've heard before that, you know, when you have characters and they're singing, the reason they're singing is because they're so full of emotion that words can't express it. Right. And like the initial song where she's singing Fly on My Father's Wings, we didn't need her to sing that to us. We already knew through that great scene. Like I was actually really surprised with that opening scene. scene with her dad. And, you know, how she wanted to be a knight. And I really connected with her dad and was really, really sad when her dad died. I felt the emotion there. Yeah. I understand that she wanted to live, you know, have her dad's legacy. He was important to her. She wanted to make him proud. I didn't need that in song. Or they could have put it, like, toward the end of the movie to, like, kind of go back to that thought process. Mm -hmm. But, or bring you back to that moment. But I just... It did not work. They were just kind of like, just throw it in there. Just throw it mm-hmm. in there. And that's what bothered me Yeah, a lot. I think they could have kept with the Celtic vibe, though. Like, if they would have kept that going throughout the whole thing, you know, not so much like Brave, like as in like totally Celtic the whole thing, but at least keep it within that same vein. It would have been cool. Yeah, the yeah. score was nice. Mm-hmm. I like, and like Morgan I said, the emotional fervor in the few, first couple of songs, you know, like when the knights get around the table and they're like, oh, liberty, justice, and the American way. I mean, <laughs> truth, freedom, peace, honor. Valor. There's like the fat knight who's like, food. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, chill for 50, brave, clean, and reverent. The knights oh. of the Boy Scouts. Um, anyway. Did you notice how many times they broke the fourth wall in how tedious the songs were? Mm-hmm. Ruber comes in and um, and he's he's like charming sing along, but are we going to get this meeting going or exactly, what? Exactly. That's when I started to like Ruber, and that was like the five <laughs> seconds when I actually respected him. See, that reminded me of a movie that I just watched because I just did a review. Um, Mickey Donald Goofy, The Three Musketeers. In that movie, and this is a really weird comparison, but. Just go with me. Okay, so in that movie, it's also a musical. Now, this movie is a little, you know, lesser in content. It's a direct-to-video film from 2004, and they have this singing minstrel turtle. And whenever he goes into a song, you know, like, oh, this is a perfect time for a song. Like, Mickey and Minnie have just met. It'd be perfect for a love song. And instead of just going into the love song, he 
the the turtle introduces it in such a way that you know they're making fun of the fact that he's singing a really ridiculous love song right now. And it worked in this movie, in the Musketeers movie, perfectly, because you're like, ah, oh, they're making fun of themselves. But in this movie, like with that charming sing-along line, it's like they're making fun of themselves and they're acknowledging that they have this, you know, this, these songs here that, you know, are just a sing-along, right? But at the same time, it doesn't work because they're trying to be serious yeah. whenever they're singing. And they're clinging so desperately to the formula of having these songs, but they don't even get the formula right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so enter Ruber, yes. who, who's cool, who's basically Ganondorf <laughs> animated. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, I, ca- I came up with a list of ways to tell a bad guy. You know, we oh, always yeah. talk about the big schnoz, uh, but There's this no is no big schnoz on the guy. But he does have scary nails. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> um, a terrible. Significantly different hair color or style than everyone else. I mean, everyone else is pretty normal and they don't stand out. But he has the flaming red hair. Uh, usually t- more tall and hulking than everybody else. Or on the opposite, they're skinny, slender, and slimy. Yes. Uh, and potentially eyeliner. Uh, the eyeliner is key. Scar had it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Shun, you had it. Green yeah. Day has I mean, it. Shun Yu is one of the best animated villains ever, and and he wore eyeliner. Oh, yeah, and he's big and hulking. Hmm. Yeah. Scary beyond all reason? Oh, yeah, that was him. <laughs> How about the green seance smoke? Oh, mm-hmm. green smoke oh. is key. Which yep. brings me to my next point. Who's the worst bad guy, Ruber or Rasputin? Like, Ooh. worse as in actually as a dumbest. horrible, pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> as in I totally f- pathetic? Or? Mm. Here's my problem. Ruber has absolutely no motivation behind what he does besides, hey, I'm the bad guy. I'm going to sing this bad guy song about how bad I am because this is what I do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, I get that he's selfish. You know, he totally rejected um, Arthur's plan for a needs-based wealth distribution. I would, too. But he, <laughs> besides that, he, his main message is like, well, I'm insane. I'm the bad guy because I'm insane and I do bad things to the kingdom. You know, With and he weapons. has this cheesy, everything will be mine. <laughs> <laughs> the only redeeming quality about him is that Gary Goldman does his voice. Gary <laughs> Not Gary Goldman. Oh, <laughs> Gary, <laughs> Gary Oldman. Oh <laughs> what? I did not know this. All right. All right. Rewind. The only redeeming quality about this guy is that Gary Oldman does his voice. That is true. The surprisingly catchy villain song, though. It's kind of got a rap beat to it. He's kind of hip-hop about it. Which is another reason this music does not work. It's all over the place. Oh, and there's the love ballad, you know, the really, like, I want song. There's the really goofy, goofy dragon song, which is dragon. all pop culture references all over the place. There's his, you know, like, show tune number of his villain song. And then there's other songs where it's very musical theater, where it's like we're talking slash singing and progressing the plot. You know what's it's all great. over. You know what's great is that King Arthur is voiced by uh, Pierce Brosnan. The name's <laughs> Bond. King Arthur Bond. And... um <laughs> His singing voice is Steve, his, his singing voice is Steve Perry from Journey. Oh. Think of all the fun they could have had with that. But no one noticed that, that it was Steve Perry because he, because, uh, King Arthur sang for like two seconds. They paid a lot of money for those two seconds. I'm just gonna yeah, throw it out there. A questing. If you're gonna be paying so much money for a voice actor, it's just not a very, very good return on investment. That's all I'm saying. No kidding. Y'all didn't know it was Steve Perry until I told you. I didn't. Not most of our listeners will. That roundtable meeting escalated really quickly. <laughs> Ruber was like, hey, I want more because I, yeah. And, and you know what? 
I think we need a new king. And you know what? I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> and he had a lot of pent-up anger. And man, that's just that one straw that broke the camel's back. It's true. <laughs> They're like, oh, great, Ruber's here. He's the most high-strung, jerk-faced knight. Who invited, who knighted him? That would be an interesting backstory. <laughs> right. What yeah. turned him bad? I don't know. Well, he's a little crazy, you know, that eye twitch of his. Yeah, that just bugged me, though. Like throughout well, the entire movie, it had it, and I was like, "Okay, I don't want to look at you." Well, you don't. You never know whether he's a psycho, uh, you know, a crazy psychopath or, um, a, you know, a uh, an evil mastermind. Like he's no Shun Yu, who I consider to be the bane of of uh, Disney villains. But it's so hard to tell what Ruber is. I mean, at least Ganondorf had a clear vision. Okay, so <laughs> then we are introduced to Kaylee again. And so my question is, do you like her as the lead or heroine? Did you believe her, you know, motivations, who she was, how she behaved? No. <laughs> what is she? Some kind of wannabe Belle? Like, that's what she looks like. Her character design. <laughs> Except for she wants to fight. So she's a Belle meets Mulan. Yeah, that's true. Well, Mulan didn't want to fight. She has a higher motivation. She wants. She doesn't want to be a hero. She just wants to protect her family. Yeah, yeah but, but she it is that is a Mulanism. Yeah, I thought I, I I got a little brave. I got mostly brave in there. I got some brave in there. Brave yeah. before brave was. They obviously no, but totally. Off I mean, Pixar. The you know the characteristics of Merida. I don't want to wear a dress. I want to save Excalibur. What? It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and there's even that same you know scene as in Brave where she's putting on the the underdress to get ready and. <laughs> Like, man, there's. Hey, it'll be quick. Did we watch this movie? Own hand. <laughs> yeah, how dare WB uh, rip off such an original idea as Brave? How dare they? <laughs> Jerks. Before their time. We even had a tapestry like Brave. I mean, oh, I know yeah. this, these are very key, iconic parts of, you know, Scottish culture, but. It was just really surprised when they looked to the family tapestry and I'm like, wow, I'm surprised here to see the exact same elements. You know, what, whatever, I, I know that she wanted to like save the kingdom and be a knight and save her mom, kind of. I mean, she seemed moderately concerned about her mother. Whatever like inner struggle the writers were going for with, with Kaylee, what was her name? Kaylee? Got got lost in how annoying and, and oblivious she is. She's and just like going she, through the forest. La 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 la. Don't even notice how the forest wants to kill me. Blind guy has to save me. Well, another problem with her is she's so focused on being a knight and fighting, and I'm a tomboy. Ha ha. And then she goes, and I'm gonna save Excalibur. And then, boy, hi. Like she just does this like 180 in a way where she's just <laughs> kind of into him. And it, it, I mean, I know she's. <laughs> She should like boys, whatever, but it it made her a lot more soft, which is fine. She's just young. How old is she, is she supposed to be? I don't know, but she's shorter than her mom, and I feel like you should at least be your mom's height. Her mom's pretty young looking. Yeah. I mean, she's probably like 15. Yeah, but that's my guess. I don't know. Well. And I didn't look into this, but she's wearing basically leggings and a little tunic. Uh-huh. I'm like, that is not appropriate for a woman in, you know, the 1200s. That, that would never all. fly at BYU-Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, she kind of dresses it like... Maybe a, that was... But I'm pretty sure women just wore skirts and dresses back then. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Anyway. The only thing we do know is that there is a trumpet sound for whenever Excalibur happens to be stolen because... They sound the trumpet and like, Everyone you know, knows. Jethro out in the potato fields is like, eh, 
Excalibur's been stolen. <laughs> Gee willikers. This happens on a weekly basis. The 14th time this week. <laughs> yeah, stolen by the Griffin, commanded by Ganondorf. Like, now all of Hyrule knows you're here. Yeah. You know, even his henchmen looks like look like Huns, you know, before they turn into, you know, mechanical monstrosities that sing and dance like that. That just got too weird. What part? Sorry, I'm like, I'm like just flying through this. But (laughs) the fact that he has this vial that is that he got, we don't that would be a better backstory than this. Um, The Acme potion like (laughs) WB can't even get over themselves for one second. (laughs) Well, to give us like, something. Does cohesive. it actually say Acme on it? Yes. Oh my yes, god. And I was Acme. a bit disturbed because I, I don't know. I, I felt it I really took it took me out of the Wiley moment. Coyote. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. So he throws it in the pit and he starts shoving people in. And he's like, "Look, I will make you into what are you guys anyway? You know, they're like weapon guys. Yeah. The weapon character team. designers are like, okay, think of if an axe could walk, draw that. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, I have no idea why anyone would want to turn into one of these things. I feel like <laughs> opposable thumbs are actually more helpful than a weapon <laughs> as arms. <laughs> so, you I higher metal. Change. Just because you get taller and then you kind of have permanent weapons on you, I don't think that makes you a better fighter or more used to him. I think they would have been better <laughs> as humans with whatever weapons they want to use. So practical. That that reminds me of Madagascar 2 when he's like, you, hire a mammal. We could use your opposable thumbs and, <laughs> and cerebral cortexes. <laughs> or they could use them as farming or in construction equipment, you know, turn those swords into plows, man. <laughs> and, then, and then we get introduced to the chicken axe thing, which just got on my nerves so quickly. Well, because they, they have this chicken who we're sort of introduced to at the beginning, and, and this chicken is different than the other chickens because it's more cartoony. So you're like, all right, what's this all about? And then you realize what the payoff is. Oh, it's some... There's this slot device. Yeah, there's this chicken X. Right. There's this tiny little subplot that you really have to scrutinize the movie to catch. (laughs) You know um, that uh, he's trying to find love, and the only chicken that respects him and loves him is you know the the big the big chicken lady. Let's just say that, and uh, you know whatever. And then he turns into. chicken axe thing and he's just t- so bumbling and pathetic you know he does he does kind of do some heroic things but he has no clear conscience at one point he's totally giving a report to ruber about the whereabouts of our heroes and the next moment he's freeing kaylee from from uh being tied up and and but, but the point that the point that he was this like semi trying to be a lovable side character like, did WB think that their movie was so complicated that they needed a totally stupid character for the audience to laugh at and be entertained that way? I felt like the whole movie was filled with those. So, oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I I think maybe they were thinking about the toys. Because, <laughs> like, we could really make an awesome Wendy's children's toy out of this. Yeah, just think of it. It's like a chicken, but an axe. And then Del Toro did it in Pacific Rim, but he made a giant one. I don't know. I hate to be so negative, but like, there's so many crazy, goofy things that just don't make sense here. <laughs> no, and I hate being so negative too, because it's like there. The thing is, like, there was so much potential that this movie had. Yeah. I felt like going into it, as Morgan mentioned earlier, that first scene. It was really. I felt like I could. I was getting to know the characters. I could see the plight that they were in. You know, the little bit of angst in the family circle there, and then it just kind of like. 
went a- went away. And even but even there were like some really good main characters. For example, I, I did like Kaylee, but I felt like her voice actress wasn't very emotive. I felt like she wasn't very engaging. And the same with Garrett. I felt like I mean it's the sa- it's the guy from Princess Bride. And I'm like, ah, yes, the Dread Pirate Roberts is here. Um, he was just too straight. His voice, there was no emotion in it. And I just felt like they could have changed those voices and they would have, like, fixed it. But I liked those characters. I felt like the story that, yeah, you know, you had a really strong female and then, or at least a, a growing female. And the male protagonist is blind. And, you know, so you have obvious trials that they're going through. Like, these are not very hard to create a story around. And they could have done a really good job with it. And I think that's one of the main reasons I was so, like, bugged about this movie. Because it was like, there's it it could have been so good. You could have been a contender. Okay, well, they do have this going for them. They do have a strong female protagonist. Mm Mm-hmm. Like that that's cool. That's different. That's fresh. But it's, <laughs> then, st- it's like a stereotypical <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean by the mid nineties by the mid nineties we'd had Jasmine, we'd had Pocahontas, we'd had Esmeralda. It kind of became oh, the yeah, norm. Right. We had Megara. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the norm that you had this like sassy independent and as a result, it's no longer uh interesting. It's no longer anything that I'm is new or exciting. It's okay. Yeah. She, she's a girl. So since she's a girl in a movie nowadays, she has to be feisty and independent and have ideas and think. All right. Not, all right. Yeah. Just yeah, kidding. Not saying she but shouldn't they, have ideas and think, but, but they didn't, but they didn't even push that. The mom was just like, Oh, well, you know, you should really just try on this dress and not try to be here. You know, she, there was no like, you are a peasant. You always going to be a peasant. And when you, when you die, I'm making you a nun. You know, there wasn't anything like that. <laughs> but daddy i want to go to the ball <laughs> that's a that's a that's an old mason comedy shtick but anyway um you know one thing's for sure is that kaylee is apparently the only hope for the entire kingdom because she's like the only person who's out a questing for excalibur you're our only hope <laughs> you're our only hope like uh, star wars much come on <laughs> <laughs> I am a Jedi Knight, like my father before me. <laughs> and then Ruben's like, so be it, Jedi. It's armed and fully operational. You know, that, that's cool. They could have, like, put some more Star Wars type illusions. Ripped off Star Wars? <laughs> uh, well, they got, they got a C3PO and R2D2 with their dragons. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Oh my gosh. I love, uh, I love how she's like, you know, fly, Kaylee. You're the only hope for Camelot. And then she runs away, and then mom starts starts a sad, sappy song, like while she's being led away by the by the brutes. You know, I half expected them to sing along with her, and, and it ruins it. It's a tender song, but battle. <laughs> the thundering herd we feel a lot like cattle. Yeah, they loved him. Is his mother. a mechanical army worth fighting for? Wish that I had anyway. So she's singing this sad, sappy song, and it totally gets ruined because they're playing it over this horrific chase sequence. It's like yeah. this tender, tender, loving song, while uh, you know, metal brute dudes are, are you know, Raiders fans are trying to kill Kaylee <laughs> and chase her down. You know, good thing she meets Link. I mean, I mean, um, Garrett. Uh, I do like Garrett. I like. I thought him. he was one of the more he the most interesting. He is. He is a Link, huh? The minus, minus the hat and the bow staff, um, uh. he is Link, but blind. <laughs> but hey, he's got a bird minion who's not evil. 
That is Ooh. like that is a huge <laughs> accomplishment in this film. <laughs> the Hawk is the only competent character in the whole film. It's true. Probably why he went and joined Shun Yu. Ah, uh, he's just the emo- immortal bird. Yeah, well, he got a lot of acting gigs in 1998. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty uh, versatile. He can play the good Hawk and the bad Hawk. <laughs> Put anyway. that on my resume. Yeah. So interesting. Why do you think they wrote his character as blind? I so don't they know. Have a song See, called this You is... Are My Eyes. <laughs> Maybe. No, that's probably oh, what no. it was. They like went through the catalog of songs that they needed to that they could have gone through and they're like, Yeah, let's throw that into the mix. And you know, Andre Batelli works it, so hey. Well, we do know that executives did play a part in ruining this film, that reading, you know, researching this film. At one point, the initial draft was actually supposed to be quite interesting and, and actually uh, legitimate and something that you want to see, but it got changed around and whatever. And I think Garrett always was a blind character because when you hear and just kind of as we're talking about, there's it's interesting. It's something new. It's something different. And so um, I feel that was kind of always there in an maybe, I mean, this, uh, this is just my own assumption. I don't know, but I feel like at one point he was always there and he was always blind and he, you see bits and pieces of this and how it could really develop into something really cool and exciting, but it gets taken away because of the goofiness, the silliness of the film. We don't really oh, get a focus yeah. on that aspect at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But he, he's a pretty stand-up guy. I kind of liked him. He plays, the, at first, he plays the foil to to her, He to Kaylee. He doesn't really want much to do with her. Thank you. For what? For reminding me why I'm a hermit. Oh. <laughs> burn! Burn! Like, oh, okay, see you later. Yeah. 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 And then he has a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian White is his singing voice, and I was looking him up, and he's kind of been around for a while, but nothing special. I mean, so I want to ask you, Chelsea, because he seems to be a country singer. So on a scale of bar singer to George Strait, how big is this guy? (laughs) (laughs) All hail King George. Um, George, exactly. (laughs) You know, believe it or not, in 1996... I was not into country music at all. And I Whoa. think I know, I know. I think <laughs> Far <it> was, out, man. <laughs> well, I think it was just because everybody at school expected me to be listening to country music and, you know, just because of that I made it a point not to. I was being the rebel that yes, you always were. I am totally rebellious in that way. Um but so I totally missed when this guy was big. But apparently he was pretty big. Looking at what he's done, I mean he's done quite a bit. I mean, he had 17 singles on the Billboard charts, country charts. Six of them were number one, two of them, two platinum records, two gold records. And then also he was backup singer on From This Moment, which I Twain. That was pretty much his biggest moment. Um, but he also won a Grammy, a CMA Horizon Award, ACM Top Male Vocalist. I mean, I mean, he definitely was around. Oh, and don't forget, People Magazine named him one of their 50 most beautiful people. Um, oh, so he, he had, was one of the beautiful people. <laughs> exactly. He had his, like, heyday. Uh, apparently, he got signed at, like, 20 or something like that. But then right after around this time, like, his career kind of went down. And his label went under. And the mother... You know, the parent company, which was Warner Brothers, took over his contract and gave him this gig. 
So it was like right after this that he basically stopped doing anything. And the next time that he kind of came back around was like mid 2000s. And then he actually, he just finished a Kickstarter to do a, like a six song EP. But yeah, and that's available on iTunes if you guys are interested in going checking out. It's called Shine. Um, you, you know, you're not on track when you have to resort to Kickstarter after, after having formerly been a number one, you know, yeah. billboard charts recording artist. Yeah. Things aren't going for, your for way. Dang old, you have to, dang old Warner Brothers. You have to get a thousand bucks on Kickstarter to release a new $5 CD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I can understand how it happened. Like he's, I mean, if you guys really want to go into this guy's story, um, but I guess he said that because he was really young, he got really depressed when his career went down because he felt like his whole personal worth was in the music business. And so he like went through this bout with depression and everything. And so he was dropped from his label, I'm sure, at that point. And then he just decided not to go back with the label or he just, I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe the label's going a different route. Probably the latter, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a good singer and everything. I just, I, I'm really surprised that I missed him entirely and I took watching this movie and learned to learn about who he was. Yeah. Well, now thanks, everybody Warner knows. Yes. Yeah, For anyone who's interested, uh, his, the link will be in the show notes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's not, it's not long after this uh, encounter in the woods that they enter dragon country, dad. Dragons. I see a dragon and I just want to kill it, dad. But They're anyway, the worst. They, well, the, the real dragons are cool. They're like, well, bat-like. They had cool. They that's had the cool, problem with uh, this designs. movie is that they separate between like serious characters, like the normal dragons were really serious and intense. Um, the chickens, the normal chickens were just normal looking chickens. And then they have the goofy version of those. There's the goofy <laughs> dragons, which are the only two goofy talking dragons in the whole place. And the goofy chicken. It's, goofy. it's not even like they're from the same world. And yeah. that's what's so disappointing. What's up with yeah. the griffin? Why was the griffin talking? Just one more oh, animal. I was that okay was, with the talking griffin because he was like a scary. He wasn't that cartoony. That was Rankin Bass. Yeah. He wasn't cartoony in any way. He was just kind of serious and scary. And it was just like, oh, well, dang, you have a talking griffin. Not bad. Yeah, <laughs> not bad. Not bad. Yeah. But it's a talking griffin. Can we keep him? Um, the line, we're the reason why cousins shouldn't marry. <laughs> wow. That's oh the only God. clearly stated message of this film. <laughs> and we go with that. My my gosh, you know, typical do you know, you know, the, the misfits in a group of creatures or people who have a clear sense of purpose, you know, but they're the misfits and uh, they look nothing like their brothers and sisters, you know, a little interesting having them two headed. But then that was just that was probably just an excuse to fit, you know, a, uh, you know, Rosencrantz, Guildenstern, C3PO, R2D2 duo. <laughs> Yeah, they're um conjoined twin dragons, which that's a first. Oh boy. No, <laughs> no dragon dragon tails had the same thing. Oh, that's well, true. Dragon tails so, had the same thing. During their song, I actually kind of liked when they visualized themselves without their better half, I guess you would say. I was like, "Ooh, I like your design." But then when they're combined together and one's short and stubby and the other one has this tall long neck, I'm like, "Ugh, I don't like you. Go back." And but, the fact that they have a song in the first place. 
Oh, the song is so many the songs. worst part of this whole movie. It's it's like all I'm watching. Over the place. It's like I'm watching Rankin Bass's Return of the King. <laughs> the bearer of the ring, the wearer of the ring. Every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, one of them is Don Rickles, which I can respect. I always like the short, stubby, um, sassy one. I always like that one. Balto, I like that dog. You know, there's the trio, there's the tall, sassy dog, and then there's the short, sassy dog, and they don't exactly get along, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I, I like the short, stubby one. I'm more of an R2-D2 than a... Than a how secret. does that song go? Never have a dinner there. <laughs> never keep a good dog down. <laughs> You'll never keep a good dragon down. If You'll never keep a... together. <laughs> <laughs> so many this dragon never die. <laughs> oh my gosh! I think that the two things that I'm going to remember most about our dragon dinos and dragon series is the Dombless references and the drunken songs. <laughs> we should we should compile we should re-record a compilation of drinking songs from animation. <laughs> no, <laughs> anyway, their song is okay. No. <laughs> Morgan's like, really? no. It's like bad. It. It's not good. It's <laughs> well, if all... it's not good, it's not good. <laughs> it's all over the place. It's, you know, what's with the weird pop culture references? Are you the genie? I mean, you get Sunny, Cher. Oh, they, it's out of They even break out, um, they even break out Red Hot Riding Hood, oh, that infamous no. WB animated classic. It's, like, if I were Kaylee and Garrett, I would be like, what? Just happened. Yeah. (laughs) Shoot her. Sorcery. No, like, and the thing is, at the end, she like claps for him. All right, guys, come on. Don't don't encourage it. I'm like, what? That's that's the transition. They have no better transition from that song to like back to the story than. Oh. Slow clap. Get you out you're, on to, you're onto something with the genie reference. I think they were kind of trying to make it kind of like that. Mm-hmm. When it just didn't work. It didn't need to be there, no. Just didn't work. So, pop quiz to see how much you were paying attention during the movie. What is the dragon's cardinal rule? That's easy. Never wear blue shoes with a brown jacket. Oh. Well, never <laughs> help a human. Yes, there you go. Never help a human. <laughs> So, all right, mis- you guys paid attention. That's Mistus left side of the dragon to you, you backstabbing murderer. <laughs> so going back, we were kind of talking about the song and how goofy and weird it is. I mean, I feel this movie had a lot of potential, but the goofiness really ruins it. It starts getting good, and then something goofy and dorky, and you're taken out of the movie, and you're just kind of rolling your eyes like, why are you doing this? It's really frustrating to watch because there were a lot of parts of this movie that I was interested in. So my question is, why do you, do you think that this is plagues animation? You know, you, you yeah. they start with one idea, but then they have to cram in certain things just because. And they can't really tell the story that they want. So why do, you know, animation directors and filmmakers, why don't they trust in their original story and just keep it more serious? I mean, why are they always forced to dumb it down? And I think I know the answer, but. Well, I, I think it goes more than just, I'm sure if the directors and the writers um, had their way, they would keep their original vision while there and i i've been considering uh 
what Catmull said in his book about how every story starts off as crap and then it, it gets better. Mm-hmm. But um, that's only if you have pure creativity flowing through that machine. And um, I think it was, you know, once you get the film execs and you get the studio in, you know, and you got merchandisers to please and, and stuff like that, then it kind of gets taken out of the the hands of the of the writers and the directors who had this original vision. And I don't think they were trying to dumb it down. I just think they were trying to put too much into it. Yeah. And I think I think this is a perfect example of when you like when when Hollywood steps in and, and just kind of overdoes what they do to to a, a concept. I hope that no director slash producer goes out thinking consciously, how do I dumb this down? <laughs> how do I sell toys off of this? <laughs> I really hope that's at not- Wendy's. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's like. They had a story. I mean, the the production time, from what I remember, was very short. And so I feel like they were just trying to fill it. Fill it yeah. as quick as they could. And just, like, it started out as a bad story, but it never had the time to really get out of the bad story spot. It had a good premise. They built the story. And then they, they didn't have time to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, I hope that's what happened. <laughs> um, I, I can yeah. see that. I can see that. What do you think, Morgan? Well, not necessarily that why they dumb it down, but I think the problem with this movie is, and why it seems to be dumbed down is because they were trying to be too many things at once. They were trying to be a musical. They were trying exactly. to be an animated mm-hmm. film. They were trying to be, you know, goofy and fun, you know, just like Disney movies. They're able to be serious and have these fun, goofy characters. Woohoo! Let's do it too. They oh, were trying okay. to be way too many things at once and they didn't, they lost focus of their core. And as a result, the movie is just is yeah. all over the place and not good. The core. The yeah. core, man. But it's true. They, there are so many times when a story will just kind of get lost in itself. Like you, you try to add something in to be funny here. You try to add something in to be more, to just kind of please everybody. But yeah, if you lose, if you lose track of like what your main, the main problem is. I mean, I loved in Ed Catmull's book. Um, we're actually going to be doing a bit more of a, a fuller on discussion about this. So definitely, if you guys haven't read it, and I'm talking to the listener, um, cause we've all, <laughs> <laughs> we've all read this, but, um, the <laughs> listeners out there, if you guys haven't read this book, definitely go pick it up. But you head on over to rotoscopers.com slash audible and you can get a free copy, uh, to just listen to. In the book, he talks about how the core of the movie kind of gets lost with some directors. And they have what they call the brain trust to kind of like push them together and help them move forward and do all these things to be able to keep their, the main problems, um, under control. Like for example, when they did Toy Story 2, it was horrible, horrendous storyline. And it took them, you know, it took a whole bunch of stuff, changes. The one problem that they, that they decided to hold on to was the fact that Woody had to make the decision of, am I going to hold on to safety and not get hurt by going to the toy collector? Or am I going to risk heartbreak and, you know, being utter destruction? But yeah, by going back home to a child who may forget about him in a couple of years. And, You know, that was that key moment where they were able to find that. They placed specific moments where they introduced that problem and it built upon that problem to the end. It was the the moment that was like Woody's on the horse and he's like, I know, or no, he's not on the horse, where he's, he's like, he talks to um, Stinky Pete where he's like, yes, he may 
you know, he may grow out of me, but I wouldn't miss it for the world. And it's those moments that kind of pushes those, the whole plot holds it together. And it didn't have the glue of a problem that really resonated with anybody. It was just kind of throw a story together. Yep. Yep. So, um, mom is still stuck in the, uh, in the covered wagon. Aw, ma. <laughs> Why did they capture her again? I feel I missed this. Um. <laughs> I don't know. At first I was like, because uh, the know. villain just... wanted to marry her. But then it wasn't until after the movie was over that I was like, oh, it's because she was always welcomed at the castle. And so she could get in. Yeah. I was like, okay. oh. But it took me after the whole freaking movie to remember that. I was like, yeah, <laughs> the bad guy used to be welcome at the castle. Why didn't he get all his buddies in first, sneak them in because he's always welcome, and yeah, then and turn on that? Chinese float. Oh, gosh, <laughs> Trojan horse. Come on. <laughs> Is the mother normally carry this much baggage around with her? <laughs> she's got like 12 wagons that's just coming in, and it's just her driving. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Well, it's in there. Cliff bars. I love those things. Anyway. <laughs> Garrett begins to die, and then there's right, a happy- the the obligatory uh, love interest gets wounded. Mm-hmm. So they find a cave. Healed. Miraculously healed because of the magical healing plant just happens to be right there. <laughs> right there. Oh my gosh. So let's, you know, now that you're healed, it's a perfect time for a song. Perfect time for a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. he can barely get up, but boy, howdy, can he belt those notes. <laughs> Not bad of a song, but it was really, no. <laughs> so, all right, let's wrap this up. Yeah, final okay. battle. Final battle. I love how there's the uh, typical uh, bad, you know, bad guy just stands there while a large, easily avoidable wooden beam comes swinging towards him. <laughs> Usually, after some pithy line by the protagonist, you know, he's like looming over the guy he's going to kill. He's like, you know, you will be destroyed. <laughs> and then, and then he hears a voice behind him. Not quite. You know, and then if you snap your fingers in one second cadence, it, it takes him about five seconds for the dang wooden beam to hit him. And in that time, he's just standing there like, you know, and gosh, I that's like a movie plot device that needs to stop. Have, did you ever see? Uh, I don't I don't want to go into a tangent, but they do that way too many times. Like someone's about to die. They turn around and there's a protagonist. Dun, 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 you know, and they swing around a thing a couple of times. And then they hit him out of a window. Hey. You know, it, it makes for great Hollywood. But it, it's like during that time, Ruber could have just sliced everyone by that point. But anyway. Yeah. And then we uh, and then, the, you know, there's the final showdown. Yeah. He's just stumbling around. My God. Hey, he just got hit by a wooden beam. By now, he's getting a little winded, you know? You know, this is supposed to be the big part of the movie, but I lost interest right before this. Right before this point, I'm like, okay, let's just get done. Right. You know, where you start checking, checking your phone and Twitter too much, and so you kind of miss parts of the movie. Yeah, it's the final battle. So blah, blah, next blah. thing you know, Boom. A marriage. Well, literally boom. There's the obligatory Hollywood adventure film Giant Explosion <laughs> and subsequent cleansing of evil. Yeah, I think that we should really add that one to the Crazy Villain Deaths video that we're going to be doing. Oh, yeah. Because that one was... He kind of gets melted. Yeah. Kind of cool. There's like This is like a, the third one that I've seen that I know off the top of my head that end with the villain like disintegrating. You have yeah. off of Tangled, 
here, and then also the one we did last time, even though he and didn't really... Rasputin. And Rasputin, yeah. Was I he mean, disintegrated, or did he just get thrust back down into the, the pit well, he from like he turns it, He rattles into bones, and, it, and then he turns oh, into yeah, bones, man, and then he blows cool. away in the wind. Uh, uh, that was ashes cool. were scattered across Paris. <laughs> oh, he's in my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, well, stay tuned for that. Chelsea has some uh, pretty good ones up her sleeve. You know, and then and then we have the marriage, but it's not a marriage. She's just getting knighted, but she just happens to be wearing a wedding gown. Oh, Did they two in one. Like, we can only book Arthur once. Yeah. <laughs> everything's everything's perfect now. Well, did, oh yeah, you got everything you wanted. Well, not everything. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it was the nineties. But you're still but you're still blind. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Well, <laughs> hey, Merlin, can you do something? I'll, oh, no, I'm just an advisor. This is just a, an advisory position. I don't really <laughs> Oh, uh, man. He, he had nothing to do during the entire movie anyway. Did the bad guys turn back to people? Yeah. When okay. Yeah, they turned back into Huns. Okay. <laughs> See, again, Very with the Very awkward looking thing. <laughs> oh, they man. turned back into good animals, like on Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right before we rate this. Uh, if you were to remake this movie, since I'm not quite sure we had that many good things to say, what would you change? Like I've mentioned before, synopsis was good. The major characters were good. I like at least human ones. Um, and, and the hawk. The hawk was cool. Um, yeah. I would have changed the voice actors. I wasn't a fan of the corny jokes. And I would totally redo the music. And like I said, I would either take the prayer out and put it in a different movie or I would change the whole vibe of the, this movie altogether, and I would make it more of a, um, more of a serious tone, maybe based on an Italian opera, where everyone dies at the end. Hey, I want tears, okay? <laughs> You're gonna break their hearts. <laughs> but I mean, that's what that's that's what the song "The Prayer" begs. For. That's in my head. But, I mean, it just depends on what you're going for. I felt like they they had the choice of either keeping the storyline or going with the prayer, and they tried to do them both, and yeah. it didn't work out. So that's what I would have done. Very good, very good. So here's my happy, fun, five-step plan to improve Quest for Cramalot, or uh, Camelo, as they said in the beginning. Um, step one, make a different movie. Step two, if studio ignores step one, make a commitment to either a serious film or a wacky film. Don't try to cram it all uh, into one hour and 20 minutes. Three, a better villain. I really think that Ruber was pathetic. I think if they had given all the characters a more clear motivation and interpreted that motivation a little bit better, then I would have been a little more invested into this film. Like, you know, why is why is Ruber after want to take over the kingdom? You know what would have been what how I what I would have done? I would have rewritten him to be Lancelot, and it would have been more of a Mufasa Scar relationship to where they were brothers in arms once, and Lancelot, um, who historically was King Arthur's rival throughout much sure. of the lore, um, and make him just lose his stuff, and then make it a very tragic relationship between him and Arthur. Also, kill off Arthur. There needs to be there needs to be high stakes. <laughs> Number, num, number four. Hey, sorry, it's Hollywood, sweetheart. It's it's hard. Um, step four: hire competent editors. There was literally a two-second scene that just snapped to Ruben in front of a fire, going, "I will get those kids," and then that was it. It, it, it was. It had some of the most random cuts to to things, and it was not cohesive. And I'm usually not a plot and writing guy, but my gosh, it was pretty much in your face. So uh, hire some better editors. 
And at step five, if you made it to this step, please go back to step one and reconsider that. <laughs> well, I know. Okay, so I know this sounds really mean, and and these recent episodes, like, oh gosh, these these listener polls are just bringing out the worst in me. But the concept was kind of doomed from the start, don't you think? Like, it did have potential, did have cool parts, but you have a Hollywood studio. Three years after the dawn of CG animation, and they've got money, they attempt to make a 2D animated film, and they risk their time and money writing on the fame of the Disney Renaissance. And uh, since it was Warner Brothers, you know, they're pretty much begging Hollywood to come in and make the the film big and loud. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cats don't dance. And the whole thing was just this mess. And it is tragic because they had cool things. They had, They did have the cool stuff with, like, the blind protagonist, you know, and how he struggles and... They had some cool stuff that they could have done. Really cool, cool creatures. Like I thought, the everything besides the two-headed dragon was cool looking. Might have been decent if there was like decent writing and editing. But tries to be dramatic, like seconds after a, a silly, goofy scene. I'm not invested in the main character. You have these typical Hollywood stereotypes, and and I'm done. The film was just a mess, even though it had these kind of fascinating parts where it showed real potential. They should make a documentary on why this failed. <laughs> Call it Kingdom. Of the Camelot. Kingdom of the Camelot. Okay, so we asked our Twitter followers the same exact question. We asked, what changes would you have made to make Quest for Camelot better? And Jacqueline Cullen says, the over-the-top silliness of the henchmen slash sidekicks didn't fit the rest of the movie very well. I'd tone that down. Rainbow Dash says, to be honest, I wouldn't do anything. I love it in its cheesy Celine Dion-coated loveliness. Nice. Okay. Trish says, Jiminy Crickets, where do I start? Axe, the goofy sidekicks. <laughs> Trish, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Make the male lead less emo. Oh. Make the villains less... Uh, ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Give King Arthur and crew something to do for crying out loud and make the heroine more awesome. <laughs> I like Trish, Trish, you're awesome. Trish, you're amazing. That was great. Whitney Grace, who is the host of the Animation Interviews podcast, says, no singing and less annoying two-headed dragon. (laughs) (laughs) August says, no singing, no male lead, no goofy sidekicks, just an adventure of retrieving Excalibur after being lost. That's true. Why'd she need a guy? And then lastly, our writer, Mark Brown, says, I'd give Merlin more involvement in the plot and more lines. I mean, come on. How do you not appreciate John G? Yeah, I I don't know who that is. G-I-E-L-G-U-D. I clearly don't appreciate it either. <laughs> oh, I'd also like to have the Griffin say, well, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So that's that. What would you rate it on that note? Two stars for the above mentioned reasons. Okay, done. I will give it two and a half stars. I was going into this expecting the worst and was decently surprised at times, which made it even more disappointing because I could see the snippets of potential greatness here and I could see parts that I actually enjoyed. And I like, I, I love a good medieval film. I think, you know, those, they're, it's a fascinating time period. You had so much wealth of, you know, story that you could have got worked off with, um, the legend of Excalibur and King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. There was so much there that they could have done. And it just was this, this weird, goofy musical that just didn't believe in itself. And mm-hmm. two points, 2.5 stars. I wanted so bad to give this three stars. I really did, but it just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so I gave it 2.5, um, for all of my, you know, reasons that I've already mentioned. Yep. Sweet. 
So if what? you have an opinion about this film, be sure to send us an email at contact at rotoscopers.com or a voicemail, and we will play your review on our next episode. Hey, voicemails are so cool. You get to record your voice and hear yourself on the podcast. It's awesome. Yes. Our first voicemail is from Jacqueline Cullen. Hey, Rotoscopers. Jacqueline here. I hope you guys are having a good wrap-up to summer. Um, I know you're filming the Quest for Camelot episode coming up, so I wanted to chime in with my thoughts. I remember as a kid really enjoying this film. I think we had it on VHS, and I got some of the toys from like McDonald's or something like that, and um, when I pulled up some of the songs on YouTube, I definitely remembered, like, um, Through My Father's Eyes and, like, um, On My Father's Wings, I mean, and Looking Through Your Eyes and I Stand Alone. Like, some of those songs were just, like, very memorable. At looking back, I guess, it's not like I sing them all the time or anything. Um, but in general, this film just does not hold up. Um, I know that it was from Warner Brothers Animation, which just in general had like a very rough go of it. And it was in 1998. So it was kind of that transitional period between primarily hand-drawn and primarily CGI films. And that definitely shows, um, like for instance, the rock ogre just sticks out so badly compared to the rest of the film. Um, and there were just, the, I think a lot of the issues in production really show through in this film. Um, there were a number of writers and the tone is just all over the place. Um, that Ruber's like villain song is just so laughable. Uh, it's just such a pair. It's like almost a parody of be prepared from the Lion King, even down to like the green lighting. And it's just, it's, it's not so great and it doesn't hold up so well. Um, there was definitely a little bit of nostalgia factor in rewatching it. But other than that, I don't really think this will be a repeat viewing for me. Um, but yeah, I, I can't wait to hear what you guys thought of it as well. Um, since I know specifically that Morgan was seeing this for the first time. Um, great. All right. Talk to you later. Bye guys. Okay. So I completely agree with Jacqueline. I love that she had nostalgia with this movie. Cause that's one thing, no matter how bad a movie is growing up, if you grow up watching it, you love it. Um, but I agree with her points that it just was trying too hard. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, she was talking about the songs and there were good songs as singles or on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, they just didn't work in this movie. And okay. So for any of you who don't know Jacqueline or don't follow Jacqueline, Jacqueline is the coolest. She's um, cool. her name, she's at Jacqueline Cullen on Twitter and she went to San Diego comic con and she dressed up as honey lemon. So, for the record, I think that's the first Honey Lemon ever cosplay. Uh, and then she also awesome. was Anna and, and some other characters, but her cosplay is awesome. She's really talented. She made this really awesome. I'm saying awesome a lot. She's making this incredible <laughs> um, Honey Lemon fighting costume. So check it out. I'll include pictures. And 
She's super cool because she bought a Rotoscopers t-shirt and took a picture. She totally did. Woo! Now, what was really funny, though, like, you know how a lot of people during the Twilight era, like, everyone was like, oh, my name is this Cullen. Like, they would always just put their name in there. And then her actual last name is Cullen. So I was like, that is cool. Okay. <laughs> just yeah, a good deal. Side note thing. Yeah, I really like her point about how um, uh, Ruber's song was just kind of like a cheap parody of a uh, of be prepared. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a few pieces of mailbag. We have two reviews for Quest for Camelot, so I am going to read the first one from Vishal. Hi, Rotoscopers. Love your podcast, Quest for Camelot. I was quite excited when you guys selected this film. It's one that I love and hate, so I had to write in a review. It's fun to watch, but what really frustrates me is that this film had so much lost potential. Apparently, there were major issues with management and production of this film, leading to a short production cycle, just one year, according to the producer. Unhappy animators and a not-so-polished product. It's a shame. I guess that explains why so much of the animation, when compared to other movies of its time, is subpar. But there are many good sequences where the time spent on the animation really shows, and the occasional use of CGI wasn't too jarring until that final ogre sequence. Yeah, this is the third time that's been mentioned. (laughs) The setting and characters had so much potential, and the story arc could have been better. But despite the predictability and the little drawn-out story, didn't need that ogre arc at all. That's four. The characters were interesting. Having a strong female protagonist and a blind male protagonist was an interesting twist that they handled well. Very promising, and I guess I expected something more. And of course, who can't forget the lovable animal sidekicks? I really like the juxtaposition of the falcon and the griffin. The two-headed dragon and his slash their hilarious moments also shine. Could have done without Blade Beak, the chicken, though. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Between Garrett and Devin slash Cornwall, the theme of acceptance really stood out. But I think most of all with this film, the music stands out to me. In fact, the prayer sung by Celine Dion even went up against the Prince of Egypt's When You Believe for an Oscar. I Stand Alone and Looking Through Your Eyes are also favorites of mine. Even the background Celtic music to the title sequence is amazing. All in all, Quest for Camelot had its good moments amidst a rather mediocre movie. While it had the potential to be so much more in terms of both story and animation, I still enjoyed it. A 3.5 out of 5 for me. Can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Cheers! Vishal. You can find him at at V-E-T cartoonist. (laughs) Well, surprisingly optimistic about the film. That just makes me feel like a jerk, but I I guess I just don't have that nostalgia factor to to, uh, you know, forgive the imperfections of this film. Yeah. Becoming one of those jaded animation snobs. No, I definitely the first time I watched this, I wasn't nearly as jaded as I am today. And I just remember (laughs) thinking, like, I guess that was cool. <laughs> I didn't really have that much to like go off of afterward, but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I've become jaded people. I liked his, we didn't really talk about the themes in this movie, but the theme of acceptance was something that I didn't actually pay attention to. And I feel really embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, There's that. There's this like semi heartwarming sequence where the dragon starts flying because he, because they are consumed by their love for um, Kaylee, you know? They finally mm-hmm. agree on something. Ah, <laughs> uh, brothers. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, our next one is from an old favorite, Joshua Kay. Hi, Rotoscopers. Quest for Camelot is one of those 1990s movies which were trying to be Disney because everyone except Pixar and DreamWorks was doing an animated musical trying to be something like The Little Mermaid. And this, from what I've seen, is bad. They have the typical hero, typical princess, typical goofy sidekick, 
making it a musical and a typical and oblivious villain. The only thing I like is the animation. It looks good sometimes, and I like some of the voice acting. And it has something that I like sometimes and sometimes hate in animated movies, pop culture. They even make a Lion King parody in one of the songs, If I Didn't Have You. So far, this movie looks bland, but I can't wait for your review. Also, I have a question. What are you guys' favorite non-Disney 1990s animated movies? And yes, you can do Pixar. Joshua K. Uh, well, uh, well, obviously Toy Story uh, from that era. I feel like including Pixar isn't fair. <laughs> I know, right? Well, at the time, they weren't together-ish. Toy Story 2. Yeah, Toy Story 2 was good. So good. I'm going to go with Prince of Egypt. I mean, Toy Story 2 was awesome, too. But I'm- I loved Prince of Egypt, and I also loved Space Jam. That was oh, my brothers yeah. and my jam. We would watch that. Spit shine. Oh, it's a good one. <laughs> I even, honestly, I don't <laughs> think I watched the whole thing. Oh, Chelsea. Oh, well, no, that was one that I just, I didn't ever get. Well, you I probably, didn't. you didn't play basketball either, but yeah, true. It's okay. Michael it, Jordan. Think, uh, Charles Barkley. I, I know. Bugsy Bogues. Barkley was the man. <laughs> we love Barkley over here. Let's see. 1990s. Definitely Prince of Egypt and Anastasia. I like it. Cool. Hey, Rotoscopers, Dan here. Like to review about 101 Dalmatians, but here's something that I thought you would find suspicious. Do you know that Anita looks like Julie Andrews? Dan. Anita, darling. Anita. I did not know that, but yeah. I mean, I guess she kind of, I don't, I don't know. It's a coincidence, I think. To the Rotoscopers, I've been a big fan of your podcast, website, and YouTube channel for at least a year now, and it all began with me trying to find a good podcast on iTunes that talked about the Prince of Egypt. So I'll say thanks to Prince of Egypt, I have found a podcast to love and follow. I recently listened to your 101 Dalmatians podcast, and it definitely brought back some memories for me. I, like many others, watched it numerous times, and my favorite character probably would either be Pongo or Roger. It is definitely a movie that is rewatchable to the end. I have definitely enjoyed many of your podcast episodes and YouTube videos, and I appreciate that it is done by three very professional podcasters. I must say, I am a big fan of Chelsea's singing, especially her When You Believe, which is flawless, beautiful, and from the heart. Before I sign off this email, I'll add one more thing that you might be interested to know. This year, for the past two months, I have been working on an art gallery project inspired by Disney for the Fringe Festival project in my hometown, New Zealand. It's basically the entire chronology of the Disney animated films, going from Snow White on up to Frozen, but with photography. In short, each title would be three photographs associated with it. For example, Frozen has a snow theme. That is, mountains capped with snow, a snowman, and a frozen heart. Utilizing a decorative glass heart I have and photographing it in the snow. And The Little Mermaid has photos associated with the sea and music, the latter as a reference to Sebastian, naturally. I'm really hoping that I can get it off the ground and successfully finish it in time for next year. 53 is a lot of films to cover. The art gallery already has the title, Snowflakes and Glass Slippers, which came to mind not long after I'd first come up with the idea for the project. If I were to give you suggestions on a future episode or video review, what about reviewing the director's commentaries of the animated films that have them? I know that the Blu-ray of The Lion King apparently does, as does The Prince of Egypt and Brave. I'm one of those who actually enjoys listening to the director's commentary, after I've watched the film a few times, of course, and I always seem to learn something new from them. And for the most part, they can be pretty enjoyable, especially when they start joking around with each other. Once again, keep up the fantastic, top-notch work, Rotoscopers. Yours sincerely, Holly Meyer, from New Zealand. Holly, thank you so much for saying that. That really means a lot to me. Yeah, I love doing that song. It's one of my favorite songs, and I'm so glad that it's, you know, Prince of Egypt, you're you're a big fan of that, too. Like, we're, we're big P- Prince of Egypt fans over here. 
<laughs> but yeah, no, thank you really a lot. And that photo gallery sounds really cool. I, when you get it all done and everything, make sure to send it to us so that we can add that link to the show notes to this episode so everybody can take a look at it. Yeah, yes, definitely send us a link. And thank you so much for your kind words on, on the, you know, the work that we do on the podcast and the YouTube videos. Professional podcasters. I like the sound of that. And as far as, uh, reviewing like director's commentaries, I definitely need to start turning those on when I watch animated movies. Yeah, you um, do. Cause then I would definitely discuss them more on the episodes. I think it's hard to do a review of just the director's commentary because they're talking about the movie. So it's kind of a review of the movie as well. And I think what we need to be doing, um, is being better prepared. I mean, we do prepare in our own ways by watching the movie, but by one of us at least watching the director's commentary because there's so much wealth and knowledge that can be learned from that. And so I think that's what we should try to do in future episodes. Like if one of us have the DVD and we can watch the director's commentary, we should mm-hmm. because, um, yeah, I mean, the discussion yeah. and the things that you learn about production, there's just so much more than reading it various places on the Internet. It's true. Yeah. Hi, Chelsea, Morgan, and Mason. It's Phoebe from Australia again. I was watching one of my favorite DreamWorks films the other day and realized you hadn't done a podcast on it yet. That film is The Road to El Dorado. This movie always manages to crack me up, and I've loved it ever since my dad first showed me this film when I was younger. The music and the scenery of this film is gorgeous and beautiful. The comedic one-liners and the dark history of this ancient yet mysterious civilization come together in this amazing film. If I had to give it a rating, I would give it five out of five stars, as it's just a movie that I love so much. Lots of love from Australia, Phoebe. Whoa, Phoebe, five-star review. I remember watching it one time, um, but yeah, I would love to throw that in there. So we'll definitely look into Road to El Dorado on a upcoming episode. Yeah. Dear Rotoscopers, I'm a big fan of your podcast, and I'm writing to you for the first time all the way from London. Then again, with the internet, it's not like it's that hard. I love your podcast, and I'm also a massive fan of anime, so your spirited and Mononoke talks were such a great surprise. I would love if you guys could do one for wolf children. While it isn't as well known as the Ghiblis, it is by the great Mamoru Hosada of Summer Wars fame. This is my favorite anime film of all time. It is so moving, I bet it would even make Mason cry. To me, every minute is just perfect. Except for that one scene, but uh, you'll have to watch to find out your faithful listener karifa karifa thank you so much for the recommendation i mean we are not so much anime aficionados so it's really nice that we have fantastic fans who you know are able to feed us anime that we can handle um as we get oh please (laughs) at least me like it's hard for me to like really um accept a lot of anime just because i grew up with like this stigma around it i think um but now that i've started watching a few more of the the really high quality things i've definitely had a, a bigger appreciation for it so thank you so much for your recommendations we will definitely look into those and one thing that I will be doing, I'm the Sailor Moon Crystal has come out. And we're on episode four. Ah. So and now there's a three week gap in between episodes, which is just horrible. Oh, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to go back to episode one and then do a review of every single episode. I know I'm a little late to the game, but at least I can catch up to episode four. And then I'm going to plan on doing new episode reviews uh, every new episode. We definitely need to do more anime. And we have a lot of fans and listeners who who ask us to do anime and I don't know. I guess there's just so much of it that it's hard for us to find stuff that we can actually review on the site. And I'll have to look at Wolf Children. I cry during movies all the time. Heck, Grave of the Fireflies was golly, too much. And then I got super emotional during Princess Mononoke. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but like, I don't know. 
I, I, I watch my fair share of anime. Like I, I watched like Achi and Sheepak last, uh, over the summer and, and stuff like that and, uh, Attack on Titan, but that's kind of stuff you can't exactly review on, on this type of site that we have going. Yeah. But, um, but we definitely need to, need to start thinking about, um, doing some anime. I wouldn't mind doing it. All right. If you have an email or voicemail that you want to send in, be sure to email us at contact at rotoscopers.com or voicemails, rotoscopers.com slash voicemails with an S. If you have listened this far, you have reached, sadly, the end of the episode on Quest for Camelot. So um, let us know uh, on your social media outlet of choice that you have made it through this episode by using the hashtag AnimAddicts75. This is our 75th episode. My goodness. Thanks for sticking with us, folks. Um, you can always go to rotoscopers.com slash 75. That will be the page for this episode. And there you will find the show notes. And also, uh, you know, a way to stream this episode. We're also available on iTunes, Hypable, and Animated Views, also available on Stitcher Radio. And, hey, if you love this show, if you love the Rotoscopers, please leave uh, feedback and reviews on iTunes or, you know, on the, on the site. We really appreciate your feedback, and it really helps to know what our listeners think. You can email us at contact at rotoscopers.com. You can also drop us a line through our amazing voicemail system, rotoscopers.com slash voicemail. You can also call 406-646-6575. Again, this episode is brought to you by Amazon and Audible. Amazon is your online source for everything. Audible is your online source for everything Audible (laughs) that you can download. And also t-shirts, folks. Rotoscopers t-shirts. And uh, if you go to rotoscopers.com slash store... You can order your very own Rotoscopers t-shirts. Rotoscopers.com slash store. Get them before they're gone. Also, uh, a little announcement. Next episode is Chelsea's birthday episode. <laughs> and our final dragons and, uh, what is it? Dragons dinos. and... Yeah. Dinos and, and dragons. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And our final dinos and dragons film, Sleeping Beauty. Oh, such a refreshing thing to look Finally. forward to after, after we're back. <laughs> We're back after Crest for Camelot. <laughs> Lesson anyway. learned, don't do movies that focus on dinosaurs or dragons, <laughs> unless you're Sleeping Beauty or How to Train and Your don't Dragon. don't do drugs. <laughs> that too. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I am Mason Smith, your amazing host, and you can find me at MasonSMTX on Twitter. Check out my online portfolio, MasonSmithPortfolio.com. And uh, once again, I'm here with my lovely co-host, Morgan Stradling, who you can find at Morgan Stradling on Twitter. And also Chelsea Robson at Chelsea Robson on Twitter. And also ChelseaRobson.com is her Facebook. You can check out all her amazing singing videos that are the talk of the town, the talk of Nashville. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all we have to say. <laughs> And there it is. So once again, thank you so much for listening. We love you guys. Until next time, 
Somos los rotos caperos. Hey, how did we know to do that? Ich, ich bin die Rotoskopen. All right, let's get this party started. Let's get this party started. Let's get All right. started in here. Let's oh, get it started. The theme song of every youth conference ever. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's true. What's his name? Rancor Ruben? Man, I'm hungry. But yeah, this is a really great one. And in it, it goes and it talks about... um Crap, now I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> That's all right, we'll edit it. I know, but what was I talking about? Oh, we're talking about how much the movie sucks. <laughs> Jeez, sorry. Go back to the mother. No, but but Ed, Ed Catmull talks about something. Movies. <laughs> oh. Core. Core. Oh, the core. The core. The core. The core. The core. The core. So too. Rated R. <laughs> okay, so we have. That is the question. Draw that axe in a chicken suit at the core. The core. I like draw that axe in a yeah, chicken me suit. Too, me too. too. Okay. Should uh, Mason do it because he's good at the voice? I think so. Oh, I sure am. Dude, I just did. <laughs> I just recorded Beavis and Butthead voices on my video. Awesome. That sounds so good. Mm-hmm.